and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome to episode 16. The offseason is finally here and the action will begin for real in a few hours. Who's on your winter wish list for the Cubs? Today, join me as I review key offseason dates and walk through some war math to figure out how the Cubs can go from 74 wins to playoff contention. We'll talk about free agents, growth from the current roster, and some potential trade possibilities. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Today is the day. Today sort of officially begins what fans consider to be the offseason in Major League Baseball. The World Series ended on Sunday with the Houston Astros knocking out the Philadelphia Phillies. And now five days later, teams can begin offering contracts to other teams' free agents. We're going to start to see player movement. It's really exciting, and we've already seen a whole five news days of nothing going on but people speculating, talking about contract options, and all those types of things. So before we dive in deep to what the Cubs are going to do this offseason, what the Cubs should do, what the Cubs might do, and what they're rumored to do, Let's take a look at some key offseason dates. So, of course, the big official trigger was November 6th. On Sunday, the Houston Astros won the World Series, and that officially ended the 2022 season. All players with expiring contracts became free agents on Sunday, and they had a five-day exclusive negotiation period with their prior team. Today, November 10th, is a really big day. Um, Most contract option decisions are due. This would be both player and team and mutual options. Um, By 5 p.m. Eastern time today, all teams who have an outgoing free agent, that's the deadline to issue a qualifying offer. For those not familiar, a qualifying offer means they have the ability to offer a departing free agent a one-year deal at the average salary of the 125 highest paid baseball players from 2022. This year, that qualifying offer will be a one-year deal at $19.65 million. A lot of teams have already either offered them or have basically made their decisions public. But today at 5 p.m. is the official deadline to get those offers tendered. Also at 5 p.m. Eastern, no coincidence here, is when teams can begin negotiating with any free agent, regardless of whether they were on that team or not. The exclusive period ends. So that's going to begin a lot of the action. All the big shortstops, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon, all those top free agents are going to have the ability then to start officially meeting and talking with other teams. The next big deadline is next Tuesday, November 15th. That's the deadline for teams to add minor league players to their 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft. If you are eligible for the Rule 5 draft, but you get added to your major league team's 40-man roster, you're no longer eligible. The Cubs do have a number of guys they want to protect, and I'll get much more into that next week. I have a special guest coming I think you guys are really going to enjoy. And we'll dive deep into the Cubs' prospects, how to evaluate the minor league talent, and we'll probably talk a lot about the Rule 5 draft. The next deadline is November 18th, which is a week from Friday. That's the deadline to offer pre-arbitration and arbitration-eligible players a contract for 2023. Players don't have to sign, but the teams have to tender an offer. And those who are not tendered an offer become what they call non-tendered, they become free agents instantly. This is what happened to Kyle Schwarber in 2019, for example. On 2020, that's the deadline for players to accept or reject their qualifying offers that had to be issued by today. Most players are going to either accept or reject that offer pretty quickly. It's been expected that the Cubs are going to offer one to Wilson Contreras. In fact, it's been stated that they will. And it's been pretty publicly known that Wilson Contreras is going to reject it and hit free agency. Those decisions can linger, but November 20th is the end date. Any player who rejects a qualifying offer becomes a free agent immediately. December 5th through 8th are the winter meetings. 
this is typically when the offseason really gets busy. Teams, all the team ownership and front offices are together. They're in meetings. Um, a lot of trades happen. This is when a lot of agents bring their clients in. That's when a lot of free agent signings happen. It's an opportunity for players and agents to meet with a lot of teams relatively simply without a lot of travel. Um, it's just a really busy period and look for that to be when maybe the biggest action of the offseason happens. On December 7th is the Rule 5 draft. Most players wind up do wind up back with their original teams, but what happens is minor league players who have been in the system for a certain amount of time, and there are a bunch of um, specific rules on that, who have not made a 40-man roster can be made available to other teams to draft. If you take If you draft another team's minor leaguer in the Rule 5 draft, that player has to stay on your major league roster for the entire 2023 season, or else you have to place that player on waivers and offer it back, offer that player back to their original team. Most players don't stick. A lot of times you'll take a flyer on a guy, you know, look at bullpen arms, bench bats, platoon players, lottery ticket type prospect. Um, probably the most notable pickup the Cubs have done is they picked up Hector Rondon in 2012 and he wound up being you know the closer on some really good cubs teams uh, you know including being in that bullpen um in on the 2016 world series team by late january we'll have arbitration hearings that will finalize salaries for those players who have not come to terms with their teams but are arbitration eligible and then in mid-february you know it's spring training so some of the things we want to talk about today are you know the offseason i expect to see a very busy offseason the cubs have a lot of needs, regardless of some of the more recent stories about how they might approach the offseason. I think everybody, including Jed Hoyer and the Cubs, have been pretty open about needing a number of upgrades. It's pretty obvious, right? They were We've talked about it a lot over the course of the summer into the fall. The Cubs were offensively very weak at second base, first base, catcher outside of Wilson Contreras, who's going to be gone. Um, they were not strong in center field. And they need more starting pitching. They One of the problems they had last year was the starting pitching did not eat enough innings. Some of this was injury. The first half, almost the entire rotation, Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, Drew Smiley, Wade Miley, missed substantial time. And that forced a lot of you know, younger, more inexperienced guys you wouldn't really want to have in your rotation into the rotation. By the middle of the season, Smiley and Stroman were back. You know, Hendricks really did miss most of the season. But they were back, sort of stabilized things. Justin Steele started pitching really well. Keegan Thompson was pitching well. And then as the season wore on, the Cubs got great com- great contributions from Adrian Sampson and Javier Assad. Hayden Wesneski, who the Cubs acquired for Scott Efros in a deadline trade with the Yankees, came up late in the season and pitched really well. So there's a lot to like about what the Cubs have heading into 2023, but they need more depth at starting pitcher. So when you look at this offseason, what should you expect to see? Well, there are a lot of different types of transaction types. There's going to be a lot of focus on free agent signings because those that's where the biggest names are typically. That's where the sort of the, the sexiest names, the big contracts. If you're going to go acquire a star, a lot of times teams are going to do that in free agency, um, especially now that the Los Angeles Angels have said that Shohei Otani will not be on the trade block this offseason. Now, we'll see about that. It's easy for them to say. I'm sure teams are going to call, continue to call and make offers. We'll see how it goes. But I'll take him at their word that he's not going to be traded. That's clearly the biggest name off a trade block. Um, the most important thing, there have been a lot of stories this this week, the last 24 hours. Twitter, Cubs Twitter has gone a little bit crazy with some of the reports out there from Jesse Rogers, Sahadev Sharma, uh, Patrick Mooney, that the Cubs are maybe not going to be aggressive with pitchers like Carlos Rodon or the top shortstops. That may be true. It's been very clearly stated over the years that Jed Hoyer likes his, quote, intelligent spending. And he's also made it very clear that, you know, typically teams don't want to do those eight, 10-year contracts. Obviously, they happen. There are a number of them out there in baseball. But when you sign a guy for that long, it's pretty common for that contract, for you to not get your money's worth on the back part of that contract. Now, in some cases, it doesn't matter. There, there's a class of player available in free agency that that becomes the only way to get them. So you can decide to go length or not. But if you decide or not, often that's just a player you're never going to get in free agency. When the Cubs made the big splash in 2015 and brought in John Lester, 
know, they brought in John on a six-year contract. Given his age, probably the metrics would say that's maybe not the best of, best gamble. But Theo was Epstein was trying to make a statement. He was trying to say, this team is ready. We're in. They signed Lester. Probably turned out to be almost the best-case scenario. He did have a couple seasons marred a little bit by injury. And he was a little bit older in his last season. But he pitched the heck out of that contract. I mean, he... Probably the best free agent pickup by any Chicago team in any sport, probably ever. Um, so sometimes the front part of that contract is good enough to justify the back end. You know, in Lester's case, you know, he pitched well in 2015. He was almost Cy Young level in 2016, pitched in Game 7 of the World Series, just like Theo said he would in the recruiting video. And, you know, it all sort of came to be. So will the Cubs go eight years on Carlos Correa? Maybe, maybe not. Even the reports from Sahadev, you know, didn't didn't rule that out. Um, those guys do their homework. But the challenge right now is we've had, you know, a whole end of the season. Cubs fans have been watching other teams in the playoffs. There's been a lot of speculation on who's going to be available. Um, and we're at the point now where there's been four or five days of chatter, of speculation, of trying to read between the lines, read the tea leaves of what's coming out of the GM meetings. But there's really been nothing happening. We're in a basically a dead news cycle until 5 o'clock tonight. Even then, I don't necessarily expect the free agent market to, you know, leap into full action. You know, all these players are not going to be signed by 5 o'clock on Friday. Like I said, the, the big action often comes in the winter meetings, which is going to be the first week of December. So we've got a few weeks to go for that. But I do expect the Cubs to be busy. I would encourage fans to try not to overreact as individual players come on or off the market. I would try not to read too much into what Jed Hoyer says. Jed, we don't have a long track record with Jed on a sort of a buying spree sort of offseason. But Jed is somebody who typically keeps his comments veiled. He typically doesn't show much. So if there's a message being put out by his front office, it could be that they're trying to set expectations for fans. It could be a bit of a smokescreen or a posture that they're putting out for other teams. You know, it's, it's hard to know what Jed's going to do. I think we had a track record with Theo. We're not quite there yet with Jed because they have not been large-scale buyers in the offseason. So we'll see how that goes. But I think it's important to keep in mind that there are trades, there are signings. You're going to see a lot of uh, roster claims, or waiver claims. Happens all the time. I've seen the Cubs claim a guy two and three different times in the same offseason. You claim him, you need a roster spot, you let him go, nobody else claims him, you get him back, so on and so forth. Um, one thing I think we should be watching for is action. And even Scott Boris, who has largely been critical of the Cubs in recent years, but that's sort of to be expected since he was you know, Chris Bryant's agent, he's talked about the Cubs being in, in, an, in an acquire and build mode. Um, he's the master of wonky analogies and weird quotes, but he's typically pretty accurate on who's buying and who's selling. So take all the current news with a grain of salt. There's going to be a lot going on. Cubs and other teams are going to throw up smoke screens. You're going to hear about meetings. The Cubs should be meeting with a lot of people. They're, they're going to meet with far more people than they're ever going to sign. So don't read into just because they're meeting with so-and-so, it doesn't mean player A is off the table. Take a breath. Let it go. So in the short term, I think there may be a quick signing or two. There's been a lot of noise behind Jose Abreu. We'll get into more depth on him later. Um, he's somebody who might come over from the White Sox pretty quickly. Um, but really, right now, watch out for small trades. With the roster crunch coming up um, for the Rule 5 draft, and just to give a little summary on that, the Cubs' 40-man roster is currently at 44 players. Uh, with Drew Smiley declining his mutual option, he is – while he's expected to stick with the Cubs long-term, he did not take the option. They have not agreed to terms, so therefore he is not a Cub. He is a free agent at the moment. So they ha they have to remove four players to get down to the 40-man roster because they have a number of guys on the 60-day injured list, such as Kyle Hendricks, Cody Hoyer, Alec Mills, so Miguel Amaya, so on and so forth. They also have... Alexander Vizcaino on the reserve list. I expect he's going to be one of the drops because they picked him up in the Anthony Rizzo trade along with Kevin Alcantara, but he did not report to spring training this 
the season and has not been in contact with the Cubs since. So my expectation is the Cubs are going to give him his release. Um, So he, along with Jason Hayward, are two of those spots. After that, the Cubs have a lot of fringe roster guys they could make decisions on. I'll save that discussion for another day. But they could also take some of their injured players, guys like Brad Wick, who aren't expected to pitch until you know late into the second half of next season. Someone like Braylon Marquez, who had previous high prospect status but has had tons of injuries and really isn't hasn't made a ton of progress this year. You could take some of those guys, potentially cut them and sign them back to a minor league contract. So we'll see if the Cubs are able to do that. But the Cubs have probably anywhere from five to seven guys they're really going to want to protect in the Rule 5 draft. The three obvious names are Brennan Davis, Ben Brown, and Kevin Alcantara. Those are all top 10 prospects in the Cubs system. Davis and Alcantara are top 100 prospects in all of baseball. They're going to get those guys on the 40-man roster. And they have a number of other interesting cases. Cam Sanders, who's a AAA pitcher at Iowa. Luis Devers, who's an up-and-coming arm in the minors. Um, They're going to have some tough decisions because on the one hand, there are a lot of guys you want to protect, but once you put them on the 40-man, you can't take them off the 40-man unless you put them through waivers. So you don't want to bring up guys that you don't expect to use in the next, say, season and a half, two seasons, because if you load that whole 40-man roster up with prospects, you don't give yourself much flexibility during the season as guys get hurt, whereas you want to take a flyer on somebody else. So it'll be interesting to see who they pick, but also look for this is a typical time when teams will trade. So the Cubs may have a couple guys they can't protect that they fully expect to get drafted by another team. They may try to be proactive and make a trade and get something back for that guy. Get a player back who's maybe has a similar prospect profile but isn't Rule 5 eligible. Um, Possibly maybe takes a couple of those guys, package them up, and get a, a support piece for the Major League roster. So there are a lot of options. Look for some small trades. But when you see those small trades, again, don't think that is Jed's plan for the offseason. That's just a component part. That's stuff you'll see in the next week as we head into the roster crunch deadline for the Rule 5 draft. So again, we'll get into more of that next week with my special guest I'm looking forward to. So longer term, what are the Cubs' goals? Well, the, the obvious goal is a championship. But you don't go from 74 wins to 110 and walk into the World Series. So the goal is playoff contention. Jed sort of thought he had a playoff contention roster this year, and arguably maybe he did. I mean, if the Cubs pitching had actually been able to stay healthy in the first half, maybe they could have approached something like they did in the second half and maybe hung in a wild card race to the end. I don't think they would have made it, but maybe they could have been, you know, 80-plus wins. Maybe they could have gotten 85. Philly was the last wild card in in the National League at 87 wins, so that sort of sets the bar. Typically, the if you can get yourself to... 85, 86, 88 wins. You're going to be in contention for that last wild card spot now that it's been the playoffs have been extended to 12 teams. So I think the expectation everybody has for the Cubs is that they're going to compete for a wild card this year, potentially in a weak division. I mean, you can always get hot, right? Like you get off to a quick start, things are going well, guys are playing with confidence. Front office sees opportunities to make moves and additions during the season, and what started as maybe a fringe wild card team can become more than that. It absolutely can just as last year became the opposite. It was a team that maybe could have been a fringe wildcard team, but they were completely dead in the water by mid-May. So look for the Cubs to really try to compete for the postseason next year, make more additions the following year. Again, like the money situation is going to continue to expand. The Cubs have room to spend now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they will have even more money next year. This year they're going to let Jason Hayward go, but that means eating you know 20-plus million dollars to have him not play this year. Well, that money's gone in the tw- for the 2024 season, so that's more money they can put towards the 2024 roster. That depth in the minor league system that's currently, you know, kind of high A, double A right now, hopefully by the end of 2023, heading into 2024, we're seeing more of those guys push the major league roster. We're also seeing more of those guys performing in triple A. And really, once you get guys to double A, just like Christopher Morrell proved last year, you're you get to double A, you're basically in range for the majors, depending on what can happen. So they'll be another year closer. And then, you know, by 2025, they're really hoping they can be the Houston Astros, have a great development system that's pushing talent to the major leagues every year. And that gives them the flexibility to take that talent and trade for the pieces they need or plug that talent in if somebody leaves for free agency. 
just like you saw, you know, with the Astros, they lost Carlos Correa. So they plug in Jeremy Pena and he's the World Series MVP. You know, that's the dream goal of any system. And that's where I think the Cubs want to be. So I think the Cubs are looking to be obviously the Astros, but maybe a blend of the Astros and the Dodgers. Um, Dodgers do spend obviously a lot more money than basically everybody in baseball. I don't know that I necessarily see the Cubs spending that much money, you know, going 50, 60, 80 million dollars over the competitive balance tax threshold. But I think they're going to spend a little bit more than the Astros. You know, the Astros came in this year with a payroll under $200 million. That's great from an efficiency standpoint, but you don't get bonus points for efficiency. So if Jed wants to build a winner and a sustained winner, and Tom Ricketts agrees with that plan, then I think the you would want to be somewhere around the competitive balance tax threshold, you know, plus or minus. You know, give yourself the ability to go sign that great player. Give yourself the ability to take some of your own homegrown developed talent and lock them up for six years. Um, it just gives you flexibility. And then also, you know, not every contract is going to work out. John Lester's did. Ben Zobris mostly did. Jason Hayward's didn't. But you don't want to put yourself in a situation where now you have one bad contract and you're stuck. You know, the Cubs shouldn't be the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Cubs should have the ability not to eat um, everybody's bad money or take on seven bad contracts, but the Cubs should have the ability to spend through a mistake because mistakes will happen. So we talk about playoff contention. What does that mean? In episode 14, I laid out my arguments for why I think the Cubs will increase the payroll to the $210 million ballpark. Um, and I think, you know, that's close to the $233 million competitive balance tax threshold. Um, you know, the team will have to face some arbitration raises this year. They're going to have to add some sort of league minimum type players to fill out the roster when all is said and done. So I think that's going to leave the Cubs probably with 70 to $80 million in net new spend to, for pickup of key players in key positions. So that's not going to include every last free agent, you know, reliever. But in terms of the major pieces you add to your offense, starting pitchers you add, potentially a top-end bullpen arm, I think the Cubs are going to have $70 to $80 million to spend. So how, how are we going to take a look at what's available and decide what the Cubs should do or, or what the Cubs are likely to do? Well, in this episode, I'm going to focus primarily on wins above replacement. It's not a perfect stat. Um, I'm going to use Fangraph's war, just for the record. So I'll talk through, it's not a perfect, but it does incorporate a lot of things. So it does give you overall value and it is a way to measure value across teams and around the league. So I'll talk through where the Cubs finished in Fangraph's war in 2022 and where they need to be to compete. When I get to the individual players, I'm going to focus primarily on free agents because I don't necessarily know who's all out on the trade block. Some trades happen very quickly when a phone call gets made. Hey, you know, some team decides, hey, I want to go pick up this free agent, but I've got a starter here. Suddenly I want to move a piece. Like those don't necessarily come with a lot of lead time and expectation. So expect there to be some trades outside of the catcher position. I'm not going to talk about many, but that is also certainly a viable option for how the Cubs could pick up players. But most of this is going to focus on free agents. So when you look at the roster, as we've talked about a lot, where do the Cubs need to add? Well, the biggest holes on the roster in terms of offense last year were second base, first base, center field, and catcher outside of um, Wilson Contreras. Obviously, they came up a little bit short in the starting pitching category. Um, so where are they going to look? Well, there aren't a lot of good options at second base. There's actually one really good one out there now because the Phillies did not pick up the option on second baseman Gene Segura. It's anticipated that the Phillies are going to push really hard for one of those top shortstops, maybe Trey Turner. So, But shortstop is where the Cubs have a good young Nico Horner, but they also, that's also where the most concentration of major league bat upgrades are. You have Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson. You, know, you can rate them however you like, and I'll get into that in a minute, how I see them, but all four of those guys would make the Cubs better. Are they all better than Horner? Are they all better defensively than Horner? Maybe not, but as Jed has said, you know, in the story I saw today, he wants to acquire talent. And then once you acquire talent, we'll figure out where the talent plays. Nico Horner is very versatile. He was an elite second baseman before he played shortstop last year. He could probably play other places on the diamond. All of these shortstops they're looking at could probably play third base, might be able to play second. So the Cubs are going to have a lot of options here. And so I'm not going to get too hung up on position. I think they're going to look at shortstop because that's where the biggest offensive gains are. I think they'll look at first base. They do have a very interesting candidate in Mash Mervis 
coming up, but it's a lot to take, you know, a rookie who's really had one great season in the minor leagues and say, Hey kid, you're a first baseman on what's hoping to be a playoff team. No pressure. Just go hit baseballs. So I expect them to bring in somebody to help kind of ease Mervis's transition in. Um, I think they'll look at a center fielder. I think before the Arizona fall league, I think there was some thought that Alexander Canario and Brennan Davis might push for the starting center field job in 2023 or at minimum, you know, maybe they pick up a, a short-term veteran to kind of get the Cubs out, get the season started. And then as Davis and Canario show they're ready, come up and play. But now Canario had a, just a gruesome ankle injury. He's out for months. He probably won't be able to do baseball activities even by the start of spring training. Um, and Brennan Davis did have a bit of a setback with the back. Jed Hoyer says he's close to 100% now, so hopefully him sitting out the second half of the Arizona Fall League was all precautionary. But there are concerns with that back. He had back surgery last year, missed most of the season, and then had a setback in the Fall League. So hopefully he'll be right by spring training. Hopefully he'll have a great spring. Hopefully he'll get to contribute in Chicago next year. But I think Jed's in a position where they can't just expect that Brennan Davis is going to walk in and be the starting center fielder. They also need catching help. It's a, uh, Wilson Contreras is going to get the qualifying offer. It's expected he's going to reject it. I know fans continue to hope that the Cubs are going to sign him and that he'll be the catcher in Chicago going forward, but the reality is the Cubs have had four years to talk to Wilson Contreras about extending a contract, and apparently nothing's really ever happened. It's not going to start now. So he's as good as gone. So look for the Cubs to pick up somebody. It looks like they are they want to take a defensive-minded catcher who's really good at the game plan, kind of managing pitching aspects of the game. Look for that kind of catcher to come in, maybe in free agency or or by trade. They're going to look at starting pitching. I think they have to get at least one. In a dream world, they would get you know a, an ace and a mid rotation guy. The reality, given what's available, might be more like you know a, a mid rotation guy with some upside, and then maybe a back end rotation guy to give depth, and then hope the Cubs can continue to develop pitching the way they have been and get some of their young guys up into Chicago. I think second base could be an option. I mentioned Segura earlier. I think Segura probably becomes a fallback if the Cubs don't get one of the shortstops. Um, he's certainly a very good player. Um, we'll get more into detail on that later. So we're going to take the um, – when, when you look at war, there's offensive war and there's pitching war, and I'm going to kind of address them separately in terms of who the Cubs might pick up and what they might do this offseason. So in 2022, the Cubs were 19th and. Fangraphs war at 15.7 on the offensive side, and they were 26th in pitching war at 8.7. That's not good enough. It's not going to get it done. You can't be bottom half, bottom third in baseball in major categories and expect to compete. So there are a million reasons why they were there. You know, I've talked about the injuries. Um, Seiya Suzuki came over from Japan, had a lot of adjustments. Cubs had some young players. But whatever the case is, the roster they had out in 2022 was not good enough to compete. So when you look back at the last couple seasons, you know, where do the Cubs need to get in terms of war to be a competitive team? Across 21 and 22, I left out the 2020 season, and I think this, I glanced back before, but 2021 and 2022 give a pretty clear example of where teams need to be. So the top teams in baseball, the ones who really went in the playoffs with World Series expectations, they were in the mid to upper 30s in offensive war and mid to upper 20s in pitching war. Um, again, not universally true. Sometimes a team is really strong offensively or really strong on pitching, which makes up for a gap on the other side. Um, but that's the general trend. Mid-tier playoff teams, so your teams that maybe you know probably are going to win their division, um, maybe they're not quite at that top tier. They're not the Dodgers. They're not the Astros. They're you know, but they're going to be a good, solid playoff team that has a chance to make a run. They're going to be at least mid twenties for war on offense and probably, you know, at or very near 20 war in pitching the low end playoff teams, the teams that are, you know, fighting for the wild card, or maybe they're going to win a weak division. They're more low twenties on the offensive side and mid teens on the pitching side. So you can see with where the Cubs stand, the Cubs probably would need to get to 20 to 23 offensive war and 16 to 18 pitching war to feel on paper, like a playoff team. Again, war is not a perfect stat. It doesn't measure all things. But it's a pretty good comprehensive guide to overall value of the roster and, and strength of the roster. So that's why I'm going to use it here. So that means the Cubs need to gain 8 to 12 offensive war. And I'm saying 8 to 12 because you have to cover the 3.3 that you lose with Wilson Contreras. And they probably have to get 7 to 10 pitching war. 
So let's take the offense first. When you look at the Cubs' 15.7 war, that comes down to 12.4 war when you remove Wilson Contreras. I think a pretty telling thing about their roster is that the remaining players had a combined 12.4 war, but the Cubs got 13.7 war from combined from Nico Horner, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell, and Jan Gomes. So the rest of the roster produced negative 1.3 war. That's got to get better. I've talked a lot about making the lineup deeper. You got to make the lineup deeper. You got to make the roster deeper. So the Cubs need to find additional wins above replacement. So where are they going to find that? They, they need to get 8 to 12. So when you look at that, there, there is some chance for organic growth. Nico Horner is a young player who improved tremendously last season. If he can continue to stay healthy and continue to develop, you know, he's not going to double his 4.0 war season last year. But I think there's growth and improvement left in his game. Seiya Suzuki posted two war. He came over from Japan and, and got out hot, had some struggles, had some injuries midseason, and then came on late in the season. Now that he's got a year of Major League Baseball under his belt, he's got a year of living in the United States under his belt. If he can stay healthy, I think there's definitely room for him to improve his overall contribution to the Cubs offense. When you look at Christopher Morrell, you know, he didn't come up till mid-May. He did play a lot, was a regular player, but he, again, he's a young player. He's 23, um, had his ups and his downs. Get him in a more comfortable role, get him for a full season, get him with some natural improvement, and he's got a potential to improve on his 1.6 war. Um, Ian Happ maybe has a little bit of bump, but I think Ian Happ is a good player. He's an all-star. He won a gold glove. I don't know how much more upside there is with him, but then who knows? There could be. Um, he might be able to develop a little bit more power back. Not develop more, more power back, but his power fell back a little bit last year. Um, some of that probably due to the baseballs. Um, I expect him to probably pick up a little bit of offense in terms of um, balls hit to right field. Now that the shift is gone, You know he probably sees a little uptick from there, but probably not massive gains. You know Patrick Wisdom probably is who he is. He's a bench bat or platoon guy with legitimate raw power who's going to strike out a ton. He posted 1.1 war. I think that's probably who he is. So I think you're going to, you can see some organic growth from Suzuki, from Horner, from Morrell. Um, you might get some growth also out of um, new players that come in. So if Mash Mervis is able to come up and play and contribute, he certainly has a chance to be better than the black hole the Cubs posted offensively at first base last year. If Brennan Davis comes up and hits like, you know, he's, he tore up the minor leagues before his back injury, he could make the team better. Um, there could also be a surprise player. Nobody saw Christopher Morrell coming up to the major leagues this year. So who knows? Like I said, once those guys hit double A, you have an injury, you need to bring a guy up. Suddenly those guys are in play and, and some of them will take off. There's also a chance for improvement from guys like Nick Madrigal. You know, Nick, Nick had a really good stretch in August after uh, probably from late July or into early August, about a month. And he just hit the crap out of the ball. He you know, hit over 300. He was all the things the Cubs expected when they traded for him from the White Sox. But then again, it was another big leg injury. So he's Nick Madrigal has to prove he can stay healthy, but if he can, he's a guy who's certainly capable of posting better than the war numbers he posted last year. We'll see what the Cubs do with Fran Mil Reyes. He's a guy who had some big seasons in Cleveland he came out and got a, got off to a great start with Chicago, but then tailed off at the end of the season. So, again, which guy is he? Is he the guy that tailed off at the end of the season and struggled in Cleveland last year? Or is he the guy that was putting up 30 home runs a year with San Diego and Cleveland before that? There's also uh, Nelson Velasquez. You know, he had some moments. He's a guy that's got a lot of raw power. He really struggled last year, probably on a better roster, should have been in AAA, you know, getting more seasoning down there. Is he might be a guy who can come up and kind of give you some organic growth. But out of all those players, you know, how much organic growth are you going to get? You might get three to four war. I think Morrell and Suzuki are probably the places for the biggest gains. You might get a bump from Nico. You might get a bump from Mervis or some of the other young guys. But it's probably three to four war. So that takes the that maybe that replaces Contreras. So now you're back to sort of the 15 and a half, 15.7, and you got to get to 23. So you got to find, you know, at 20 to 23. You got to find five to eight more war somewhere. So let's walk through each position. At shortstop, you've got the big free agent targets Correa, Turner, Bogart, Swanson, you know, 
Correa is projected by Fangraphs to post 5.1 WAR next year. Swanson's at the bottom of that list at 3.2. But you sign especially one of those top three guys. You're looking at expecting four and a half to five WAR. Um, at first base, you want to bring in somebody to kind of ease Mervis's transition in. So some of the options are Jose Abreu, projected for 2.4 WAR. Anthony Rizzo, he's opted out of his contract in New York. You know, he's there are burn bridges with Chicago, so I don't, I don't think that ship's going to sail. Like I said in one of my more recent episodes, I just don't, I don't see a path home for Rizzo. But if he did, he's projected for 2.1 WAR. You know, Josh Bell is a guy who's probably he's the youngest of the free agents on the market, um, at least of the of the top free agents on the market. He's projected for 1.8 WAR. He's probably looking at more like a three or four year deal. Um, same with Rizzo, whereas Jose Abreu and Trey Mancini are more two-year options. Mancini's expected to pro- project a 1.2 war. So any of those guys could come in, give the Cubs offense a boost, and kind of pave the way, give the chance for Matt Mervis to come in and, and do his thing. Another position is center field. Center field is a position that's interesting because, like I said earlier, I think it looked like Davis and Canario were going to be major factors here, but with their injuries, they're a big question. I think they were always going to get a hedge veteran, somebody to come in who you knew could start, could give you some serviceable innings, maybe a, you know, not an expensive guy, not a multi-year contract, but come in, get a guy, take a chance. And then a guy that, you know, you can set to the side or be a fourth outfielder when the kids are ready to play. Now, I think it's a little bit more difficult. You've got the, the options of free agency, range pretty significantly you've got one of the literally the best guy on the market probably in Aaron Judge he's projected for 6.7 war I I don't see the Cubs going 8 to 10 years on you know 30 year old Aaron Judge but somebody probably is going to do that Brandon Nimmo is the next center fielder on the market he's probably looking at a four or five year deal and you know he's looking at 4.7 war well part of this will determine I've I've talked in the past about how one decision will affect other decisions the Cubs may or may not like Brandon Nimmo, may or may not want to go after him, but the Cubs do have Seiya Suzuki signed for several more years. There are rumors that the Cubs are talking with Ian Happ and Nico Horner about contract extensions. So if you extend Ian Happ, he's probably locked up for another three to four years, minimum. So if you go sign a Brandon Nimmo or an Aaron Judge for four plus years, now you're talking about major money allocated to the outfield and all three positions locked up for four-plus years, three-plus seasons. When you've got Brendan Davis, Alexander Canario, Kevin O'Contra, Pete Crow Armstrong, Owen Casey, all coming up through the minor leagues, and that doesn't even get to um, sort of lesser-tier projects or prospects who can still play like Darius Hill. You know, there are a lot of options there. I don't see the Cubs closing that door in center field. I see them getting a one- or two-year guy who can come in and could go into an outfield rotation if Brennan Davis is ready to come up and play. So some of those options include, you know, Michael Conforto is a really interesting one. I'm not sure what he would project money-wise, but he's going to come out. You know, he's been major. He's had a major shoulder injury, and so he's going to be on a one-year probably prove-it deal would be my guess. Fangraphs projects him to have 1.6 war. You know, back before his shoulder injury when he was healthy, he was a three to four war center fielder, which is a, you know, that's a great player to have. So he might be a guy that Cubs are able to take a gamble on. And if he's healthy, could wind up with a huge season. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer is one that the Cubs have been rumored to be in contact with. He projects for 1.1 more. Um, he's had some major hip injuries, hip soreness the last couple of years. Last year, he finally had surgery on that hip to hopefully get it fixed. Early returns are that the surgery went well and he's progressing. So, you know, if Fangrass projects him for 1.1 WAR, he's a guy that could potentially go a little bit higher based on past track record if that hip is actually healthy. The San Diego Padres declined the option on Will Myers, so he's a guy who's available for you know just a touch under one WAR projected by Fangrass. And then Cody Bellinger has been one talked about a lot. He is a former league MVP with the Dodgers, has massive upside, but for the last couple seasons he's been a complete disaster. So. He's a guy you'd be taking on massive risk with, but in the Cubs situation, now he's a guy maybe they would have looked at more if they expected Brennan Davis to be in this season because Cody Ballinger is a total boomer bust. If he keeps doing what he's doing, he's a guy you sign for a relatively small amount of money, bring in, give him two months, it's not happening, you DFA him and move on. Um, So if the Cubs want somebody they can count on for a year, 
then Bellinger probably isn't that guy. But if they want an upside play and then maybe use Christopher Morrell or Darius Hill, if you know Davis isn't ready, then maybe Bellinger is somebody they take a gamble on. And, of course, that's assuming I've not seen yet that the Dodgers have actually non-tendered him. Again, that deadline is coming up. But if they don't offer him a deal, then he becomes a free agent. When the Cubs look at catcher, they're not going to look to replace Wilson Contreras. There's literally no other catcher on the free agent market that plays his game. He's by far the best offensive catcher available. He's probably the second or third best offensive catcher in baseball. Um, And he's looking for a big contract. I don't know. He's probably not going to get a contract that pays him multiple years above the qualifying offer level, but I've seen Fangraphs projected him to get four years, $17 million per year. So with him gone, who are they going to bring in? Well, the Cubs have made it pretty clear they're going to look at a defensive first catcher, especially a catcher who's really good at game planning, working with pitchers, all that type of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, Apparently, Jan Gomes is strong there. All the pitchers really enjoy working with him, and they're going to try to go in that route. So I don't think offense is going to play a tremendous amount into this decision. Obviously, if you've got two equivalent catchers, you want the one that's going to hit better. Um, But I think they're going to look at defense first and try to make up the offense somewhere else. Now, before I get into free agents, this is one position where I think a trade might be more likely. There are maybe a number of teams willing to trade a catcher like the Cubs did when they picked up Miguel Montero from Arizona back in 2015 before the 2015 season. Um, One team in particular, the Toronto Blue Jays, have three solid catchers. They've got Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and Gabriel Moreno. I think Danny Jansen is the most likely to be traded, but the Blue Jays are widely expected to trade one of their catchers. So the Cubs may be able to use some of their prospect depth to get a catcher there. But if they don't do a trade, the free agent options are, you know, kind of laying them out by war. Omar Narvaez, who's been catching for Milwaukee, he's an interesting candidate. He's got a projected 2.1 war. Andy Bats lefty, so that helps uh, the very right-handed heavy Cubs lineup. Christian Vazquez is expected to depart from the Houston Astros. He's projected for two war. He could be a guy who comes in, provides a little bit of offense, and also you know hopefully can do some of that that catching stuff. I don't. He's not as um, Defensive-minded to say like Martin Maldonado is in in Houston, but um, Vasquez might be an option. Mike Zunino is out there. He's projected for 1.7 more, and Pittsburgh Pirates catcher Roberto Perez is projected 1.4. Outside of possibly Narvaez and Vasquez might get sort of mid-range contract-level deals, expect the catcher to be either a cheaper signing or a trade would be my guess. For other infielders, there are a couple guys that are interesting. I mentioned Gene Segura earlier. His option was declined by Philly so that they could make a run at a top shortstop. He's projected for 2.6 war, and Fangraphs is projecting him to sign for you know two years, $12 million per year. And Brandon Drury is 1.6 war. You know He, again, would be on the smaller end on the contract side. So when you look across all those guys, obviously the Cubs are not going to go sign 12 offensive free agents. But I do think they'll push hard for a shortstop. There's been some talk that the Cubs won't go eight years on Correa. A, I don't know if that's true. But even if it is, I mean, Fangraphs is projecting Correa to get an eight-year deal. Um, They're projecting Turner to get a seven. And then Swanson and Bogarts to get six-year deals. So I think the Cubs, the Cubs reportedly offered Carlos Correa seven years last year. So if if they find the right guy, I think they will offer, you know, years. It may not be enough for Correa, but I think it'd be enough for one of the others. So Jed, you know, like I said earlier, Jed has said he wants to assemble talent and go from there. So let's say they get, let's say they go on the shorter side on the contract and they get Xander Bogarts. There's a lot of noise behind Jose Abreu. Let's say they pick him up. And there's been some noise lately with Kevin Kiermeyer. Given the Cubs want to be strong defensively for a sometimes contact heavy starting pitching staff, let's say Kiermeyer makes sense. Um, personally, I think I may be more into the Michael Conforto idea, but I'm not 100% sure of his health status at the moment and have not seen a lot of chatter about Conforto. And then let's say they trade for a catcher. So if they get Bogarts, Abreu, and Kiermaier, that would be a net based on fan graphs of eight war. So if the Cubs did that and they spent $52 million on those three guys, picked up that eight war, if you add that to some of the expected natural growth, that puts the Cubs offense now in that range of 
you know, 20 to 23 war heading into 2023. So that leaves, you know, 15 to $30 million for pitching ballpark. So let's get into pitching now. So the Cubs were 26th in pitching war in 2022. Um, like I said, largely it was because of the starting pitching's lack of ability to go deep into games. They had a lot of injuries early, so they were starting guys they didn't want to start. And then those guys were not getting depth, so they had to go to their relievers often. And then, of course, the Cubs traded the relievers at the deadline and wound up with a lot of adjustment period in the back half. So the Cubs could improve a lot just by getting more starter depth. So we're going to focus on the starting pitchers. And when you look at the Cubs rotation, if the Cubs make no moves in the starting pitching world, which is not expected, their rotation probably slots up looking like Marcus Stroman, Justin Steele, Adrian Sampson, Kyle Hendricks, and maybe Hayden Wesneski, you know, for the five-man rotation. The Cubs got 7.6 war combined from Steele, who had 2.6, Stroman, who posted two, Sampson, one and a half, Keegan Thompson, 0.8, and Wisniewski, 0.7 in limited action last year. So when you look at that, that's that's obviously not good enough. That's not strong enough. So the Cubs have to make an addition. It's also important to note that, one, there's no guarantee on Kyle Hendricks. He's got what seems to be a pretty severe shoulder injury. He missed most of last season with it and then was expected to start a throwing program you know, around the time the season ended, and that hasn't happened. So I think there's reason to be concerned about Hendricks and potentially make him a question mark for 2023. Um, when you look at the rest of the rotation, you know, I named out those five guys. After that, you know, you've got Javier Assad, Caleb Killian, and Keegan Thompson, and then some other younger players like Ben Brown, DJ Hers, and Jordan Wicks. You have to go – every major league team who wants to compete has to go into a season expecting to need eight to ten different starting pitchers. Now, hopefully you have a good five, and those five can go as much as possible. But even on a healthy season, a couple guys are going to miss starts here and there. You're going to have double headers. You're going to have stretches where – you just have a lot of games and a lot of days, and it's hot. It's late July. It's August, and you're going to need that depth. You know, most most teams are going to suffer one or two starting pitcher injuries. You know, guy has to sit on the shelf for you know two to three weeks. You, you have to have fill in. So, you have to come into the season with eight to ten starters. The Cubs are probably about seven right now, and I don't know how confident they are. And, and that probably includes Keegan Thompson, who really probably should be in the bullpen. He's a potentially elite multi-inning reliever in the bullpen based on what he's done so far in his career. So you have to add one more for sure. Um, probably at least one mid-rotation starter. In an ideal world, you'd probably add an ace and a mid-rotation guy. Um, we'll talk about the aces here in a minute, but that's a lot of, I think that may be more money than the Cubs are willing to spend. Um, given the other pieces, I think they want to focus on bringing in some offensive pieces first. And then also you know, maybe go a mid, mid-rotation mid guy plus a back-end rotation guy to help the pitching depth. So with that, let's dive into the pitching. So there are really kind of three pitchers that teams would consider aces out on the open market right now. You've got Jacob deGrom projected for 5.5 wins above replacement and Justin Verlander projected for 4.1 war. Those are probably the two top guys. They're both going to get probably more than $40 million per season. Um, DeGrom's probably looking for three to four seasons at that price. Verlander probably two um, with maybe some options. They both bring a lot of questions. I mean, DeGrom is probably, he probably is the best pitcher in baseball when he's healthy, but he's not healthy as often as he used to be, and he's getting older. Um, Justin Verlander is amazing, but again, he's had his own injury problems in the past, and you know he's he's 40 years old now. So there are age and injury questions for that $40 million per year price tag. I would say sort of 1A in the ace market is Carlos Rodon, who also has plenty of injury history in his past. He's been healthy for two years, and he's put up some great numbers. He's, you know, averaged north of – or he's put together – he's averaged north of five war per season over the last two seasons. Um, he's projected for four and a half war by fan graphs for next year. He's a guy you probably get, you know, four years, five years, maybe five years, $100 million, touch over that. Um if the Cubs go for one of those guys, he might be the guy, um, but we'll see. So when you look at those mid-rotation pieces, this is where I think I've heard the, some of the most noise. Um, the biggest noise is with Kodai Senga, who's a pitcher coming over out of Japan. 
unlike a lot of Japanese players, there's no posting fee associated with him. He's not with a team that needs to get a chunk of his salary and, and a posting fee. He is truly a free agent. He had an opt-out in his contract, and he has exercised it. And we don't have a lot of easy projections, but there's a lot of reason for optimism. I, I think his floor is probably, you know, assuming he stays healthy, is probably a number three starter. Um, I think he could get himself up into that one or two range in the right situation. And it, it's I haven't seen a ton of specific projections, but I've heard a lot of rumors that he, teams might be able to get him for five years, $85 million, sort of that you know, 16 to $18 million per year range. If that's true, or even maybe up to $20 million, I think he's got a ton of value. Um, he's a guy who trains with you, Darvish. He works with driveline reps in Japan. He's got a plus fastball that can hit triple digits, and it sits mid-90s, even deep into baseball games. He has an elite splitter um, that seems to move all over the place. It'll sometimes break left, break right. He's got a lot of different things he can do with it. Um, on the maybe the downside, he needs to work on his breaking pitches. He's thrown a curveball and a bit of a slider over there, but a slider is less that sweeping style that's so popular here in the major leagues, um, more sort of the the old school traditional slider. Um, still, we'll have to keep working on those. I know the the Cubs like that sweeping slider. You know, Hayden Wesneski has a has, has an elite one, but Senga's arm slot may make that sweeping slider difficult. But you throw 100 miles an hour and you can move your move your splitter. You have a lot of options on the table. He'll also have to adjust from a six-man rotation to a five, so there may be some workload things to balance there. Um, but I think he's he's a guy the Cubs have been rumored to be very high on. I saw a story this week that Seiya Suzuki is out recruiting him. It sounds like Yu Darvish has had positive things to say about the Cubs. So I, I think the Cubs are going to push hard after Senga. And if I had to literally put money down on a free agent signing in the pitching space, I think they'll get Kodai Senga. Also in that mid-rotation sort of category, there's Andrew Haney is a free agent. He's projected for 2.6 war. Chris Bassett coming from the Mets is projected for 2.5 war. And Nathan Avaldi is projected for 2.4 war. I think the Cubs will also add somebody, you know, one of the back-end guys. I guess in the dream scenario, the Cubs would pick up Rodon and Senga. It's probably more likely they pick up Senga plus somebody else. And so those somebody else's would include Drew Smiley, who is widely – I think he'll be back with the Cubs – um, he opted out of his mutual option this year because he outpitched it last year, frankly, here on the right. So it's expected that he'll sign with the Cubs. He's projected for 1.3 war. But that's 1.3 war is also what he did this year in basically a half season. So if the Cubs can get him to pitch like he's been pitching, he's a guy who can, you know, certainly nail up the back end of that rotation, if not, you know, push his way in the middle of it. Um, there have also been rumors of links between the Cubs and Corey Kluber, who's projected for 1.7 war. And with Martin Perez coming over from Seattle, um, he's a guy that made a big change in 2022 by adjusting his pitch mix. So he posted a you know sub-3 ERA through 196 innings. Again, that's a little bit different than his past seasons, but if it's based on a, new, on a better pitch mix, maybe that's something that's sustainable. So the Cubs have been rumored to be in discussions with his with him and his agent um so i think that's another guy who has potential i think for the bullpen as i said earlier i I don't expect them to look at a big name for the bullpen um there aren't really any out there anyway with edwin diaz being locked up by the mets but i think i could see the cubs going after you know david roberts david robertson um who's expected to not resign with philadelphia um, I could see them potentially going back to Andrew Chafin, who opted out of his contract in Detroit. Maybe a guy like Taylor Rogers. Most likely, though, I think what they're going to do is bring in, you know, a couple veteran relievers who can come in and sort of anchor that pen as the young arms, you know, fill into their roles and, and help teach those young guys how to pitch and how to win. Um, and then beyond that, I think they'll they'll do what they always do. They'll, they'll take flyers on guys coming off injuries, guys coming off bad seasons, see who they can get in that pitch lab and, you know, get some success out of. The Cubs have had a great run lately with guys like Chafin and Robertson and Chris Martin, Ryan Tapera, you know, just on and on and on, reliever after reliever, they've been able to put in their bullpen, make into a productive pitcher, and then unfortunately lately trade. But it'd be nice to see one of these bullpens be a good bullpen and actually be a weapon in the second half of the season. So that's what they'll be going for there. So for the pitching ads, as, as far as my predictions go, um, I'm going to say they're going to stay out of the you know major ads in the bullpen. 
I don't. They're not. I don't think they're going to go for a Craig Kimbrell or a Kenley Jansen, and I. I think they shouldn't. I think those guys are going to be. Um, I don't want to say too much money because honestly, I don't care what Tom Ricketts spends. But within the budget that Jed is likely to have, I think going to spend that money on those guys is just not going to be all that valuable. So I would, if I have to make a prediction right now, I would say they're going to get Senga and Smiley. That's probably four to five war. Um, for maybe 25 to $28 million combined. That would give the Cubs the ability to make Hendricks purely a bonus. And it also sets up a rotation of, you know, pick your own order. Marcus Stroman, Kurt Isenga, Justin Steele. And then the last two spots, probably Drew Smiley gets one. And then depending on whether Hendricks is healthy, you know, the whoever emerges from Hendricks, Wesneski, Samson, Assad, Caleb Killian, um, and it lets, maybe most importantly, it lets Keegan Thompson and Adbert Azalei stay in the bullpen where they can be multi-inning weapons. If Ben Brown, DJ Hers, Jordan Wicks, or any of the other young pitching arms come up, that's that's gravy, right? So I think that's probably the most likely path. Um, like I said, the, the Cubs have a chance for some organic growth on the pitching side. Marcus Stroman posted 2.0 war, but he missed most of two months. They got nothing from Hendricks. Steele missed the last month or so. Wisniewski was only up, you know, for what a month max. Um, so there's reason to think that these guys are going to, if they can stay healthy for a full season, improve on what they did last year. And they were a very good rotation in the second half. So I think there's every reason to expect that they could pick up, you know, two to four WAR, um, just through natural growth, being healthy. Add that to, you know, a pickup of, say, Senga and Smiley, and suddenly you're looking at, you know, you probably are in that 7 to 10 war range that the Cubs need to be. So with what was laid out before, there's a really good chance for them to add eight offensive war and five pitching war from free agency, then combine that with some organic growth, and this team can absolutely be a playoff team next year. So with that, I would advise everybody to – Enjoy this. It's going to be wild. There are going to be players moving everywhere. There's always a surprise move. There's always a team making a, just a head-scratching deal like, I cannot believe they paid that guy that amount of money. Um, players are going to go to unexpected places and just try to keep an even head. Everybody's excited now, and you want to see that big signing tonight, but it's probably not going to happen. There may be a signing there too tonight, but look for the big action to start with the winter meetings. Once the biggest players go, the markets get set and things tend to roll from there. We haven't had a normal offseason in a while, so it'll be nice to kind of be back to that this year. Keep a level head. Pay attention. There may be plenty to gripe about later, but at least at that point, we'll know what it is we're mad about. Um, at this point, I'm just waiting. I'm trying to avoid you know, putting myself in a mental situation where, oh, they got a top shortstop, but they didn't get the one I wanted. Or... They didn't get this picture I really liked, but just wait till the end of the offseason and see what they put together. You know, if, if they don't put together that kind of war improvement, if they can't get to those thresholds, then you look at this team going in the offseason and think the offseason was a failure. But let's let it play out first because I think the Cubs have a lot of options. They may, If they don't go heavy in the free agent market, maybe they make more trades. You know, one thing I hear often from fans about with the deep farm system is, you know, don't gut your system for trades. Well, that's true. You don't want to because the Cubs did that from – 2017 to 2019 but the reason they gutted it wasn't because they made trades they gutted it because they weren't that deep in the system so if you have depth in the system take advantage of that use it because all those guys are not going to contribute in chicago on the flip side if you take full advantage every free agent year and go out and fill your holes because you can get them with cash you're locking up guys for longer periods of time and there's no place then for those for that deep farm system for those top players in there to come up into. So you really do want to have a balanced approach. You want to leave some positions like the Cubs may get a, you know, the stop gap at first and center field to kind of tide us over until those kids are ready to play. But it's all about balance and a balanced approach. So look for trades, look for free agency, look for the Cubs to maybe pick up a surprise guy or two who gets tossed onto waivers, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be busy and it's definitely going to be a bumpy ride. So being it for the long haul, I would love to hear your thoughts. Who do you want the Cubs to pick up? Who do you want the Cubs to stay away from? Hit me on Twitter. I want to thank you for spending time with me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, 
or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've already done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!